Welcome everybody to the Ultimate Football Network's podcast. My name's Barry Faust and I've got my, my co-host is Tabriz from the Amateur Football Network. And we, today Hello. we've got Simon Minnington, the coach and mental health uh, coach, I think, from, um, where are you from, Simon? Um, well, I've got my own uh, coaching, tutoring company now, but I, I was recently made redundant from the Football Association. So uh, my most recent employment was with the FA for the last eight years as a coach, educator and a developer. So what was that role in Tau? Well, that role was um, working in the grassroots department and it was uh, taking coaches through their level one, their level two and their UEFA B in the county of Kent and then supporting regional colleagues in the southeast with any courses that they were running and then delivering CPD events um, for Kent on a wide range of topics. So, you know, if you think about coaching young people, coaching older teams, uh, session planning, behaviour management, uh, mental health courses. So uh, it entailed the whole variety of coach development things you would expect from uh, a football NGB. Yeah, that last word I didn't quite catch. Did you say any? Yeah, yeah, yeah. national governing body. So okay, sorry for the, um, the shortening of that. So it's just, yeah, for national governing bodies. Okay. So what is it you do now, currently? So I've got my own company. So since making uh, being made redundant, um, I now have built on what I was already doing when I was at the FA, um, and that's tutoring mental health first aid courses um, for a wide variety of organisations, but mainly football and football coaches in grassroots settings. Um, recently did one for MK Dons, and this will be the two-day youth first aid course, the adult two-day course, or their half-day awareness courses, which is really there just to help people understand a little bit more around their own mental health and what it is, uh, help them recognise what the risk factors are for people becoming more um, unwell or susceptible to mental ill health, and then spotting the signs and symptoms of a variety of different mental health illnesses, uh, and also to equip them with the, the knowledge and skills around how to support someone if they do find them in distress and they need, you know, emergencies help. So similar to your emergency first aid that we all have as coaches, it's um, making sure that we preserve life, try and keep people in a good place, get them to professional help as soon as we can, so then they can get back onto the road to recovery as quickly as they can. And uh, Simon, so, uh, you know, um, you used to work at the FA. I mean, what yeah. was it... Uh, was it an active conversation regarding mental health uh, at grassroots level or, you know, even at the elite level? And um, can you kind of tell us exactly certain like things that, you know, they were you know, looking to to like make a lot more people aware of? No, it wasn't an FA initiative, if I'm honest. It was something that I did myself because uh, three years ago now, one of my closest friends of 30 years took his own life. And I thought, you know, I've got to do something about this because I've known 10 people throughout my life who've completed suicide. And I just think it's too much, you know, to, to know 10 men um, that have done that. I just thought, well, if I can use my tutoring skills that I've picked up over the years as a coach developer to then deliver these courses within um, football coaching settings, 
I think it's very important to do that. Uh, you know, and luckily I, I was in collaboration with Kent FA, who were very big on trying to support their grassroots clubs to uh, learn more because we think that it sits alongside emergency aid and safeguarding that people should have at least a basic knowledge, which could be the half-day awareness course, which you know would be similar to an emergency aid or a safeguarding course. Um, but for others who wanted a greater depth of knowledge, doing the two-day course will equip them to really understand, you know, what they're going to see because you know football settings are just people, aren't they? So if they can impact on that and try and spot, especially after the pandemic, anyone who might be struggling or finding it quite difficult and signpost them to appropriate professional care, then we saw that almost as a duty of care to try and make sure that more people were qualified in that area. And Kent FA have been leading the way as far as I'm concerned with my knowledge. I know there's other counties that are doing some bits, but Kent FA also partnered up with an organisation called Cooth, which are, are leading the way in teenagers and what teenagers go through and how they can access online mental health um, through their portals. Mm, amazing. And, and, um, and again, I would love to kind of get your thoughts about um, the like phrase mental health. Uh, you know, um, I know it's, it's like now very prominent, especially in sports. And you've like probably seen a lot of people um, use it as more of a buzzword or as a fad. Um, how important is it to, to, to literally, you know, you know, use, use this phrase of, you know, well, if you coin this phrase properly and appropriately? I think it's vital. You know, the, the thing is with mental health, because stigma and discrimination still surround it, um, you know, some people can view it as it's a bit of a boogeyman because um, you, you start talking about psychosis, suicide, um, depression, anxiety. People start to step back from it because they're a little bit like, oh, wow, they're quite heavy topics. But the reason that they're still heavy topics is because we don't talk about them enough. You know, if you sprain your ankle as a footballer, uh, break your leg, you're quite happy to talk about what that looks like, how you recover from that, what type of program you're on. But people are less likely to talk about it if they've been anxious or depressed. Um, so for me, mental health still has that stigma. So some people will use well-being and how to look after your own self-care, which I think is a, a great place to start. Because if we can get people engaged on well-being and self-care, then, you know, Going that next step to saying, well, what is mental health and what does it mean to you is a little bit more comfortable. I think sometimes people see mental health or mental health cause and they go, oh, actually, because I've had a little bit of ill mental health, I don't want to go on that because it might you know, make me feel unwell again. And it's trying to just you know, disperse some of those myths and say, look, the best way that we can retain uh, a positive mental health is by being quite open, honest about it, and putting things in place around protecting it. So exercise, nutrition, sleep, um, hobbies, socialization with friends, having healthy relationships. And I think that's why it's important for people to understand, especially in the grassroots sector, where, you know, especially in kids' football, some of the behaviors that you see coaches display are not going to be conducive 
to um, people retaining positive mental health. Also, I know Barry is very big on the refereeing side of things. And also the young referees that come into it, if they're getting verbally abused all the time, that's not good for their mental health. So we need to be able to spot these things. Um, and that's part of the reason why Kent FA set up the stuff that they did, because a young lad called Tommy Crush and the Tommy Crush Foundation was established, was a 15 or 16-year-old referee who sadly took his own life after experiencing, you know, lots of things in his life, but predominantly some of the behaviours that we see in, in grassroots football. I was going to say to you, Simon, are you finding that mental health is affecting younger and younger people now rather than just the elder? Well, it, 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 it's always um, affected adolescents and people of a young age simply because, you know, 75% of mental illnesses come on in adolescence. So if we can equip grassroots coaches who work with younger players to understand it, then they can see the signs and symptoms of someone who uh, is struggling or experiencing poor mental health and try to get them into professional care as soon as possible. Um, so the more that we know around the risk factors, you know, so if you think people from a, a black and ethnic minority group, people, uh, females or LGBT people, uh, people who live in poor socioeconomic backgrounds, um, low education attainment, genetic factors play uh, a risk, birth factors play a risk. If we know this about our young players, um, it gives us an insight. And then if we start to see some changes in their behaviours, their emotions or their appearance, they can all be signs that we can pick up on to start going, well, actually, I've noticed these changes and I just want to check in to see if you're okay. Um, and if they're not, then we can start to go, right, you need to get to your GP, you need to go forward, because it can take a long time for people to be able to access professional help um, because, you know, the, these services are inundated with people. So it's nice to be able to think, well, if we can flag it up early, we can get them on the recovery pathway quicker than if we leave it, because the worst thing you can do with mental ill health is not confront it and try yeah. to, uh, um, you know, get people the appropriate professional help that they can that they should get. So I was going to ask you, did you, did you think the provision that is now available is, is good enough? And if it's not good enough, how do you think, um, do you think there should be more people like you uh, giving these courses out um, to coaches and to, uh, young people? Yes, there are lots of people like me in relation to being a mental health tutor. Yeah, but I don't think there's many football-specific ones. So I try to always, when I'm delivering to a football audience, use my knowledge, you know, from being an A-licensed coach and working in grassroots football and within the football association um, to then footballise it for them so they can understand, you know, how they can make it relatable to what they would do. I don't think there's many people like me um, that are delivering it. I know of a couple of other people, but... the if you look at the country as a whole, I don't know if there's a massive amount of people doing the courses specifically. I know there will be people that focus on suicide training in certain areas, but I'm very much of the thoughts that actually within a footballing context, we should try and do prevention as much as possible. So how do we develop resilience in young players, help them to be equipped with the ability to deal with setbacks when they come? And then if 
once they've got those skills, if they do become unwell still, because there's other factors at play, they might be getting bullied, they might be experiencing changes as their brain changes through adolescence, which make them unwell, then there's also people confident and skilled at supporting them until they get the next steps. So I definitely think there's a lot more growth in this area from a, a footballing perspective. I think the pro game at the top categories uh, of academies are in a stronger place. If you think about category threes, I would think there's not as much because financial uh, you know, problems, they haven't got as much money as the big cat one clubs. And also, you know, their staff usually have to wear a variety of different hats to um, make sure that the academy run. So they would have to get expert outside help in, but then, you know, they've got to pay for that cost. So should they get some support from the Premier League, from the FA, the Football Foundation, other charities to help them access some training um, for, a, a, you know, a, a cheaper cost? Um, I mean, for, for me in the, the grassroots department uh, with these county FAs, I offer it um, at massively discounted rates from the corporate rates that are out there because I know these people are volunteers and uh, their coach education and that costs them a lot of money anyway. So I try and offer the courses at a vastly reduced rate so it's accessible to them. And uh, Simon, I've, I've kind of noticed that you that you love the word grassroots, which is which, which is uh, which is great to great to hear. And uh, I think we all know uh, certain conversations that literally happen in a grassroots changing room. And uh, how how important is it to to literally educate managers and coaches uh, about certain certain phrases of you know you know language and phrases that that could um you know affect players i think it's vital that we just get the conversation started um as i mentioned earlier stigma and discrimination is what pe stops people coming forward so if you've got a manager in a dressing room that's talking derogatory about mental illness so it could be going oh that nutter um that that person, that window licker, you know, that person, oh, did you see how they fall apart? They've got nothing about. If they use language like that and there's someone suffering or experiencing mental illness but are masking it in that changing room, they're not going to come forward in that environment because they're thinking, oh, if I come forward here, they're going to absolutely go in on me. They're going to start saying, oh, yeah, you're weak, you're, you're this, you can't handle it, you know. And unfortunately, that's what leads people to go on to not seeking help, and then it gets worse and worse and worse. They get lots of intrusive thoughts, which then turn really negative. And for some people, that's what pushes them to take their own lives because they start to think, you know what, I just want the pain to go away. I just want this to stop. And the only way I think it can stop is by me taking my own life. You know, and, and no one should have that sort of decision. It should just be, if we're going to be in, um, if we're going to be in the changing room or if we're going to try and, develop a culture, an environment that's 100% about us being successful and achieving what we really want to at our maximum. I think mental health is important within that. You know, there's a guy called Clavin Blackwell who runs a club up in the, the Midlands, um, at the Step 4 club, I think, or maybe even Step 5. And he, he's recently asked me to write a, a short article 
for the non-league paper. Just to outline, I think if people are more aware of mental health and mental ill health, it can provide them with marginal gains. If you're a little bit more savvy about it and you understand this and you have great relationships with your players, um, especially the ones that leave or the new ones that come, and you go, well, actually, we talk quite openly about mental health, mental ill health here. People are just on the, the, a more relaxed place around that. And they can just go, you know what? Um, I know I can go and speak to that person and they're going to be open about it. And they're not going to start, you know, giving me grief because at this moment in time, actually, I'm suffering with a bit of anxiety or I am feeling depressed or, you know, I've started hearing voices. Because one of the videos on the course that we show is about a young man who got injured playing hockey and then on his recovery pathway around hockey, he started overtraining physically. So he started doing too much in the gym. By pushing himself too much and the stress that that put on his body and mind, he then started to experience um, psychosis, you know, and he, he plays the guitar um, every night to his mum and dad because... He thinks that's the only way that it will stop evil spirits coming to get his mum or dad. And it's so easy for people to fall. Uh, well, not fall, but, you know, encounter poor mental health. We, people really don't understand that if you don't manage your stressors, you don't look after yourself in a positive way, then before you know it, you can become quite mentally unwell uh, very quickly. And it will creep up on you. It won't just suddenly... You know, you're going, oh, 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 yeah, I know what's happening here. For some it will, but for others, it will just hit them from nowhere and they'll be like, wow, I didn't even see that coming. You know, and it might start off with panic attacks. Um, so I think the better the environment that a club have and the culture they have is around, you know, mental health is on a par with physical health. They're intrinsically linked. You can't have one without the other. If you don't, you know, look after that side of the game, then you're neglecting 50% at very least of what that person's bringing to the team. Uh, and uh, I just, I just want to just touch upon um, something that you said before. Um, yeah. so, so, you know, I'm a, I'm a kind of black male um, who's literally around the age of 40. So, you know, I... I was kind of brought up in a household where, you know, and and also like the eldest as well. So, you know, I was I was kind of classed as quote unquote the man of the house. Um yeah. so our our feelings and emotions were kind of put put aside. Um how important is it for you know parents and you know people my age with kind of you know kids, nieces, nephews, uh to like get re-educated. Um Especially in my, in kind of, um, literally, yeah, you know, my ethnicity, because um, again, you know, I know it's like still a big, big stigma in the kind of uh, African Caribbean community. Yeah, I mean, I can only quote from statistics that I've learned throughout the course, but people from a black and ethnic minority background are, you know, more susceptible um, to mental ill health. And that, that could be schizophrenia uh, in the first instance. Um, and there's a variety of different regions for that. Some of the biggest ones are around the stigma and discrimination people from uh, a different ethnicity encounter anyway, because of their colour 
of their skin or the cultural background. So they've already got some sort of persecution that's occurring either explicitly or, you know, uh, implicitly where you just pick up on things, you know, systemic racism, it does exist. And we know that it does impact people on a daily basis. Additionally, some people from those backgrounds will live in inner cities um, in quite challenging areas. Not everyone, but we, we will know that a lot of people have come from a, a poorer socioeconomic background in a challenging area where there could be exposure to more violence, gangs, and there's a lot of pressure from there as well. It could also be attributed that they might have a more spiritual side to their life than others. Uh, and sometimes that can be misinterpreted. So if they've got quite a high spirituality and they view things, you know, quite rightly, that their beliefs are right to them, um, in a Western culture where it's not a spiritual, when they try and convey that, sometimes people will be dismissive of it. So living in a, a big inner city is very dangerous in relation to mental health just because of all the challenges that are out there and the higher pollution rates. So I think it's very important for all cultures and backgrounds to educate themselves around this, but especially um, more people from the backgrounds where actually the statistics are shown there's a higher risk at the moment of them becoming more unwell if certain things aren't put in place. Uh, and we go into those risk factors in more depth on the actual courses. Um, but there's some great stuff that Mental Health First Aid England already offers free resources on their YouTube channel and also on the, uh, the, the, the courses themselves and the, the free resources that they have on their, uh, their website. Uh, Simon, I was going to ask you about um, mental health around uh, referees and do you think that, especially at grassroots level, that is taken seriously by clubs um, in regards to the abuse that referees receive and is there anything that the referees organisations can do, the PGMOL and um, obviously the clubs themselves to combat the mental health abuse that they get from um, say parents and obviously coaches and players as well on the field. Yeah, it's, it's been interesting, Barry. The, for each county FA, the referees department has been probably the, the least likely to come forward and put people on courses. I've only had mm. one referee in that time, um, and that was in Kent, who's come on a course uh, because they want to be a mental health first aid champion for uh, referees. But I said to him, but look, if you want to do another course specifically for referees, then we can facilitate that. And, and so far, nothing's come forward. I think with all grassroots clubs, um, there's an education around referees and uh, supporting them. We know that we can't have the proper game unless we have referees there. And we know we need to have uh, or adopt an attitude that everyone makes mistakes. They don't mean it. If they've misjudged something or interpreted it in a different way to other people, that doesn't make that the other person's uh, view is right. You know, the referee we know has got to sell their decision and they've got to go with that. And they have to do that and just believe in what they did because that is what they thought or saw at that time. Now, other people, regardless of what they think, have just got to respect the referee for that. They, they have to just go, this person's giving up their time. Yes, they might be getting paid a tiny little bit of money, but they want to be out there because they love refereeing, make sure football's facilitated, and they want the game to be played in the right way. 
So we need to educate players, parents, coaches, and others at clubs that referees need to be respected. Now, the way we do that is for a variety of different ways. And I think they've had a go, but it seems like more referees have dropped away this season than any other, simply because, you know, why should they put up with the abuse that they receive um, on a, a weekend, on a weekly basis, just because they're trying to go out there and do the best that they can. Um, you know, across the whole of society, some people will be better than others, but we have to understand at the grassroots level, they're not going to be the, the, the most brilliant referees, simply because the most brilliant referees work their way through the, the different yeah. levels and go on to become professionals or semi-professionals in their own right. So we have to bear in mind that these young people, usually young people, or slightly older people who have got to a stage where they're like, I can't keep up with the younger players, so I can drop down and do a bit on a Saturday morning, a Sunday morning, because the game's not paid at a frenetic pace, and just respect their decisions. You know, and there's no there's no place at all for me in derogatory abuse of anyone. You know, we have to be a little bit more kind, a little bit more respectful that this person is just trying their best. You know, let them get on with it. They will make decisions that are not the best, but don't we all do that on a daily basis? So cut them some slack. Um, and I think if we did some work with them around developing their resilience to try and block it out, I think referees are quite thick-skinned uh, to a certain extent, but they're only human. And, you know, these words are going to play on them and they are going to impact on them. And people need to understand that. And um, instead of being awful to them, just encourage them. Let them get on with it. You know, we all get frustrated. But I don't think football uh, and at that grassroots level, which I classify up to National League South, yeah, as grassroots, we can say National League is probably almost professional with some of the budgets they've got and their teams dropping out of the league. We, we can go, all of these referees need to be treated respectfully because I've gone along to support someone in their UA for B and they're probably at step six or five. And some of the abuse that the referees get in, it's going, what is this all about? It's like people that are just going there to vent their uh, pent-up emotions and yeah. take it out on the referee which I think, you know, is totally unacceptable. But the sanctions need to, you know, be a little bit stronger. Um, and I think people need to be you know, banned a little bit longer if they're going to be disrespectful too often, but also physical violence, you should be banned, you know, I would say forever. But if we're going to give people a second chance to change, then at least a season to start off with. And if they come back with the same attitude that they think they can punch referees, um, and that's totally unacceptable. Uh, Simon, you, um, you, you like, must kind of have uh, some sort of opinion regarding how, especially when it comes to even elite athletes and, you know, let's say like the best grassroots players, you know, um, they, you know, they kind of, you know, obviously mentally, like you've got to put yourself to your move, you know, to the highest you can possibly get to. And again, even the elite athletes, you know, have literally sacrificed a lot um, physically and mentally. Where, um, like, what's the fine line between, you know, really putting yourself mentally and literally going 
going uh, slightly OTT? Well, I, I think for me, that's more of a sports psychologist question because they're experts in it. But my bit that I've always said from a coach, a coach education perspective is the more that we can empower people to take ownership and responsibility of their own development, the more they are equipped to push themselves to their limits. Now, when they're at the maximum of their uh, limits, so if we think of the top footballers or top Olympians or top boxers, they know where those margins are. And if they dip into a stage where they feel really uncomfortable, then they need to review that and work out, actually, I probably went too far that day. If I keep doing that, will that impact my development long term? So they have to work out, well, how far can I go? Because we know they always have to push themselves to the maximum. And all of it is contextual. It's all based on what their individual's uh, capabilities are. You know, if we take Ronaldo at the top of the tree, he knows how far he can push himself. And he seems to go beyond that every season. There are other players whose capabilities aren't that high. You know, so when we see that suicides do happen in football, um, and we've seen a few over the last few years, maybe someone's reached a, a place where they haven't managed their depression, anxiety, and any other um, impacts on their mental health properly. And then that's become to such a detrimental state that they thought that's their only option out. So for me, it's all about working with the athlete, with the player, to co-create their programs so they can maximise their attributes, their resilience, their, their tools to push themselves to just beyond where they think they should be um, as often as they can be safely. They need to work out that if I am going to go there to see what I am actually possible of uh, achieving, I also have to have a safety sort of network there. But that's where I think sports psychologists who study this topic for a long time are better equipped to work with those people um, to make sure that it's, it's done safely. Because the, I think the worst thing that we can do as uh, coaches is start to delve into other areas that we don't know that much about, which could potentially damage the people that we're trying to develop. Because we could read a, a book, take some bits from it, um, but we haven't got the underpinning knowledge that actually is is crucial to make sure that it stays safe. And um, I know social media plays plays a big part in in mental health. Um, could you give us a few names of social media platforms that you think that are doing? Uh, a better job uh, regarding uh, mental health awareness? To be fair, I don't think I've come across any. Um, I know of websites, like I said, I mentioned Cooth earlier, which is an online platform for teenagers to contact and find resources out, but also to have a, they can have a text chat with someone at the end of that um, if they're feeling unwell. You've got the national charities around mental health from a website perspective, but social media, um, I, I, I'm yet to be convinced that any of them are placing the mental health and well-being of their users um, at the forefront of what they do. You know, one of the biggest things that we see on the course that we discuss is cyberbullying and um, how this is allowed to take place across these platforms. Um, 
Now, there's parental responsibility there. There's child responsibility there. But we also know that adults can be deeply affected by uh, negative comments that are aimed at their their um, their their platforms. So I'm yeah, I'm yet to be convinced that anyone's leading the way on this. And if anything else, I think they're still performing very poorly from what I witness. Um, you can't have online racism. You can't have online abuse ever. So until you eradicate that, um, I don't think we can even move forward with thinking about the mental health side of things because you're not eradicating the things that cause poor mental health and you're not being proactive. Because I think you, you mentioned it earlier, if, if we just are jumping on the bandwagon and promoting out some well-being uh, posters or here's a good infographic, that's lovely. Yeah, that's a great place to start. But what else? Where's the substance? What, what sits underneath that? How do you follow up with that? Um, you know, I'd like to see social media platforms um, actually fund some of the education and training for people um, in this, this sector. You know, show that you're committed to making a change. Don't just try and uh, prevent people from posting. Put your hands in your pockets, contribute to people becoming educated and sponsor some of these programmes that could happen across the pro game all the way down to grassroots football. Simon, one, one of our last questions is, if um, what are the signs of someone that might be suffering with mental health? And if someone spots those signs what what advice do you give the coach or manager or player friend what advice do you give them would you give them to, to do yeah if they, if it, they see that yeah this is a challenging one because some of natural normal adolescents will be actually the signs and symptoms of ill mental health you know so people becoming irritable people yeah. becoming angry short-tempered um not looking after their physical appearance uh, people um, being a bit more emotional, uh, a bit more teary uh, and, and struggling or finding things difficult, being a bit more confrontational than they, they would have been potentially. But also on the flip side, being even more quiet than they, they used to be. So on the course, we go into these in a bit more depth in relation to the different ones that they will see. But what we all say to someone, and I'm sure you've both heard this before, if you do notice um, slight changes in people, if you've been in and around them for a while, you go, actually, Barry seems a bit different. I don't know. If, oh, you know what? I'm going to check in on him. I'm going to ask him. And, you know, you've probably heard that if someone, you ask him, Barry, you all right? And Barry comes back and says, yeah, 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 I'm good. I then have to follow up and just say, Barry, I'm only going to ask again simply because I've noticed that you seem to have been a little bit more short-tempered lately or you seem to be a little bit frustrated or you don't seem to be enjoying things as much as you used to be. Because um, we know that stress, you know, it's the same managers under pressure and they haven't picked up any points for the last six, seven weeks. There's going to be pressure there. There's going to be stress there. How do they manage that to maintain that positivity? They're not going to be able to do it all the time. And they might be more short-tempered. They might be more irritable. They might be disappointed in the players' performances. So we check in to see actually if it's just that or there's something underneath that. There's something more that's contributing to them not feeling great. And the only way you can check, if someone says, you know what, I haven't been feeling great. Um, I've been feeling a, a little bit anxious. I've been 
you know, feeling really, really down. I haven't wanted to do the things that I used to do. I don't enjoy them as much. We can then ask him, well, how long have you had these feelings? How long has it felt this way? And how bad do you actually feel? There's some days you not want to get out of bed. You know, because if they go, well, it's been at least two weeks. Well, that's a sign that depression is starting to set in for someone or potentially set in for someone. Uh, and the time length of two weeks and the severity, like if they haven't been getting out of bed for two days um, on certain days of the week, or, you know, they've been more irritable most uh, more often than they ever have been. They're, they're, they're all signs that they could be, uh, you know, experiencing things. But what I would say, if, if you want to look into signs and symptoms, there's, there's a great video called I Have a Black Dog, um, which it, it just gives people an insight to what someone with depression might be showing. Um, anxiety, we know that anxiety in football, a little bit of performance anxiety is what gives us our edge. Yeah. You know, that little bit of butterflies in our stomach, that willingness to go out and compete and want that. Anxiety becomes a problem when it starts to affect our functionality. So when we hear about people not wanting to leave their house because they become anxious, that's, that's affecting their day-to-day -day life. They're now got to a stage where they need to put measures in place to try and get them out, you know, because they'll start to put things in place to prevent them going out. You know, so if you see people in and around you who used to be quite sociable and they start to decline the social invites and start to go, oh, no, I've got this on now, it could be that they're starting to get anxious in social settings. And uh, they find it a bit more difficult. So there's, there's, there's quite a bit to it. And that's why I encourage people to come on the two-day courses, because there's that greater depth of knowledge. And that usually lights the fire for people who are, are interested to, to find out a little bit more and do a little bit more research beyond that. Because the resources provide lots of um, references uh, to academic papers, but also to other platforms where they can get more resources. I mean, if coaches don't want to actually come on a course, the best thing for them to do is just to start looking for lots of free resources that are out there as a kickstart to what um, they, they need to probably start doing about their mental health. Because, you know, from my experience of being in and around non-league football uh, from a coach developer perspective, it's still very um, macho in a way. And, it, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it's also trying to understand that by shouting, screaming, giving people, um, you know, let's say it's shit for underperforming and digging them out in front of their peers, especially for those young lads that might just be coming up from the, uh, the, the scholarships programs, the 17s, 18s, or have been released from football clubs and are thinking, I'm going to give it a go in non-league. They might not be used to that. So you could be negatively impacting on someone. It could be a really talented player for you just because of your coach behaviours of this is how we do it, get stuck in, don't mess about, don't be a pussy, what's up with you? All that mm. type of derogatory language, you know, I can see there, were, there used to be a place for it, but is, is that place still there or should we reframe things and come at it from a different way? Well, thank you, Simon, for... Uh for that and thank you for coming on to the podcast it's really really interesting listening to you and what you have to say i'm sure lots of people are going to learn from that brilliant barry i really appreciate you letting me come on and just have a chat about it just because i'm i'm very passionate about reducing suicide and i think if we can do anything to make people aware of their own mental health 
so they can take greater care of themselves and not get into a place where they become unwell, it, it is vital. Um, and that's why, you know, that offer that we've got on your, your, your platforms of everyone who's connected to you through your networks can get 50% discount on any of my courses. It still stands. They only need to email me, you know, and uh, take a place. Uh, I've got no qualms about that at all. Thank you, Simon, very much. And um, just like for for the people who are listening, what is your email address? Uh, it's Simon at Delamill.com. So Delamill is D-E-L-A-M-I-L-L. So Simon at Delamill.com. They'll also find me on Twitter if they want at Delamill Tutor One. Brilliant, brilliant. Thank you so much, Simon. No problem. I've really enjoyed coming on and uh, the question you guys have asked me, you know, has uh, really helped just to bring the topic to life. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody. Cheers to Reese. Thank you, Simon. Cheers, Baz. See, speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Speak to you soon. Bye.